Jumbo, 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 Karibu, everybody. I am your host, Dr. Ruth Akumbo. I bring you cultural relevant multifaceted conversations intersecting education, entertainment, and business with a commitment to DEIB and cultural capacity building. So my guest today is Brian Koppelman, and he is the Chief Diversity Officer at California State University, Monterey. My official welcome is Jumbo. Jumbo just means hello in Swahili. Hey, Jumbo, right? Yeah, so Jumbo, Brian, Jumbo. Jumbo, yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, I was at a college, university, uh, college, at Hamilton College. Here's my second second job in higher ed, um, a private liberal arts college in upstate New York. And this is years ago. Uh, I took a, uh, I guess I took a Swahili class. It was kind of sad in on it. Um, that's awesome you took a swahili class that's a little trinket i didn't know that's awesome yeah yes yeah. but it was a long time ago so unfortunately right. uh, most of it has left but uh, right anyway. oh that is so cool that is so cool yeah. uh have you been to to say kenya for example where swahili is the the second official language in in, in tanzania right oh i don't know i don't know about tanzania swahili being their second language but i know in kenya um they have right English, exactly. they have swahili yeah yeah, it, right. yeah, yeah I no, that. yeah you know you know so someone asked me uh this the other day said have you been uh ever been to africa the continent i said yeah i was in egypt mm-hmm. uh this was uh i was a college student man and then right. I, uh, we, we did a uh, summer thing and uh we ended up in middle east and egypt uh yes. cairo luxor aswan you know wow. uh, so and, you haven't gone south Hmm? You haven't no, no. So we play. So, so in the continent. Now it's not right. sub-Saharan, but in the continent mm-hmm. of Africa, it was it was Egypt. So you know, my son's mother. Uh, uh, she, we 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 lived in St. Louis, and I worked at St. Louis Community College. Right. <clears throat> so did she. And uh, the sister city of St. Louis was San Louis in uh, Senegal. Mm-hmm. And she went uh, to San Louis a couple times as part of this exchange thing we had with St. Louis Community College. And some college in in in, uh, in San Luis. Okay, yeah, that's great. Yeah, well, I highly encourage trying going going to Kenya yeah. and those countries. I do. Yeah, I, I mean, that, and I want yeah, and I, and I, I want to do that. Uh, I want to go to Tanzania and, and yeah. Kenya. I want to go to Zanzibar. Yes, and and you know, and, and that's one of the things about at this point in time in, in my career, I'm I'm closer to the end of my career than the beginning of my career. And, and one of the things I do want to do is do some more travel. Right. I had the fortune my dad was in the army. And uh, we traveled a lot, you know, uh, spent three years in Germany. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, spent a year and change in, in, in Iran uh, under the Shah. Uh, my dad came back here, actually. Because, you know, I, I, I don't know if I told you I was born here, right? And um, my dad was stationed at Fort Ord. No, I and, did not know that. Oh, I thought I told you that. No, <laughs> no, yeah, no I was born, I was born. everything but that. <laughs> yeah, 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 right, right. So I was born, I was born here, uh, my brother and I. And then we came back when I was in the ninth grade. Because my dad went to the language school mm-hmm. and uh, learned Farsi. Okay. And Farsi, yeah, and Farsi was the longest program at the language school. Mm-hmm. So Pop got fluent in in Farsi. You learn how to speak, read, and write Farsi. And you know, Farsi is you know you know different different alphabet. Right. Uh, they read from right to left rather than from left to right. Mm-hmm. And so uh, yeah, he he learned all that, and uh, it's funny. Uh, so then we went to Iran for uh, uh, ended up being a year. Uh, supposed to be longer than that, but uh, 
you know, we had a family tragedy, so we had to come back. So sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so so that's fascinating. Yeah. Sounds like you've been you've been in this diversity field from a very young age, like not young age, but from your well, you know, you you know, know, that's that's a good way to put it. And and I've never really thought about like that. But, you know, you're absolutely right. I think one of the things about diversity is this whole idea about being comfortable, uh, basically interacting and engaging with anyone. Right. Uh, because you're not intimidated, uh, your lack of understanding and awareness doesn't impede you and prevent you from getting to know somebody uh, from a different culture. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, you embrace that that uh, that opportunity to learn about some different cultures, right. and that is part about being a military brat, as we call them, an army brat, because you know you live all over the place. Uh, I lived all over America, and I lived in overseas a couple of times, and and so yeah, yeah. So that I I, I grew up immersed in that, you know. Yeah, that and my is- dad and my dad is country boy from North Carolina. Mm, who wow. left North Carolina in, in the late 40s mm-hmm. uh, as a way of getting away from segregation and all that. You know, and he was in Japan uh, and he was only uh, his 19th birthday. He was in Japan. Wow. Uh, and he, then he was in Korea and he'd been in Germany before, uh, before actually before uh, he met my mother and married my mother. He was in Germany. And so he went back to Germany. And so Pops, you know, Vietnam. Mm-hmm. But Pops was in a lot of different places. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, for work, but he he did he did all those yeah things. yeah right Korea Vietnam Japan those mm-hmm. are all really big names <laughs> yeah so so yeah so pops was a pops was an incredible man and, and but he he instilled that sense and and exposed us to the world mm-hmm. uh, as a result of his service to the in, 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 in the army so right. yeah did he name did the name uh, Kopenning I I can can you say it Kopenning yeah. Opening. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, is did he give you that name, and does it mean anything? Well, as most names for for African Americans or people of African heritage in America, it's you know it was a a, a name that really was a, a the name of the master slave yeah. name. Uh, it really is tra- It really is a a name that is, uh, I think, part Dutch. You know, uh, yeah, because you think of and, Copenhagen and you start yeah, hearing that. Yeah. But they actually came from Pennsylvania, the, the the white side of the family, of course, right. and they migrated to North Carolina. My, and my dad was born in Morganton, North Carolina, which is uh, at the foothills of the of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Okay. So it's like Western, it's considered Western North Carolina. Okay. Uh, my grandfather, uh, actually, his his mother it was half Cherokee and half Black, uh, and she actually uh, conceived uh, my grandfather. Uh, with a, a white man, mm-hmm. so whose father, whose father was, uh, or was it grandfather? No, his father. His father was a Civil War cat, you know, a Confederate oh. officer. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, so so my grandfather really is, you know, half one quarter Cherokee and half white and all that, and so there's a lot of that. But that's that's kind of the American story, right? Right. Yeah, but it's, you know. it's it's fascinating when you know your own. Right, yeah. it's the American story, but it is your story. Is it does this story define you in any way? Do you think? Because I haven't had the privilege of hearing a lot of people know that detail. Say the, my grandfather on this side, my grandmother on this side. Mm-hmm. But not a lot of people know those details, which is it almost feels to me like you're doing this African thing where you just list down your, your the list of your ancestors and your people, which is really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. No, that's 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 a good question. I think. Um, uh, the nature of the experience, you know, of, of black folk in this country uh, 
help compels you in some ways to want to know more about your experience. I mean, you know, we can all say that our ancestors had some some attachment or some connection with slavery, right? Mm-hmm. I think the main thing to understand that, especially the, the native side, you know, the Cherokee, the eastern branch of the Cherokee. Mm-hmm. Now, I lived in Oklahoma before I came here. Mm-hmm. And Oklahoma was, you know, the Indian Territory. Mm-hmm. You know, the Trail of Tears where the Creek, the Choctaw, the Cherokee were forced west, the Seminole were forced west. Mm-hmm. And the Trail of Tears walk, uh, marched in, in the, uh, in the 1830, 1830s, mm-hmm. 1830s, uh, where... Uh, they were forced march and, and, and they lost their land, whether it was Georgia, North Carolina, Alabama, Mississippi, they were forced out of that, that land into the Indian territory. Right. But, you know, there was, a, but there was, there were Cherokee who stayed behind, who kind of hid up in the mountains and ended up being uh, the West, the Eastern branch of the Cherokee. Now there's a casino. There's always a casino. That was my native brothers and sisters, but more power to them. Uh, <laughs> near, near Asheville uh, associated with Harris, but that's all Cherokee territory. Okay. And so, so, so it's kind of like makes sense that that there was some kind of that Cherokee blood or or that Native blood in, in my family, mm-hmm. uh, you know, considering the nature of how close where my father's family's uh, from. Yes, yes. But yes. but understand that Ruth is important because for me it's like, yeah, I'm 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 a, I'm a proud black man, mm-hmm. but there's also more to me than just that. Right. So you so none of us can look at look at our, look at others and say, oh, I know who they are. I know what they come from. I know their journey. No, you don't. And that's why this whole idea about if you really are committed to this idea of equity and inclusion, it means that you have to spend some time getting to know somebody and understanding their journey, understanding their culture, understanding their history. Mm-hmm. And not just assume it's face value. I can I can assess who you are based right. upon me looking at you, not even talking to you. Right. <laughs> and true. so, yeah. So. So, you know, and one of the things about being in Oklahoma you know, uh, and, and I know I know some people who are on the, on the BIA roles. Right. Bureau of Indian Affairs roles. Right. So they actually are certified as a particular tribe. Right. So they're able to benefit from, you know, the largest that comes from the casinos or accessing the Indian health health uh, resources at a, at a hospital or whatever. And so, you know, that's, I think it's 16% or something like that, or maybe, maybe more. Okay. But, but, but to be able to actually uh, show that and then you, so then you card carrying. Right. And, you know, and the freedmen, the whole thing about the freedmen in, in, in Oklahoma. So the freedmen are, some tribes had black slaves, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Seminole, uh, the Cherokee, mm-hmm. and, you know, Choctaw. Some of them had had black slaves, right? And the ancestors of those slaves, because part of the, the, the this treaty and all that after the Civil War was, they would be recognized as members of the tribe. Okay. Now, prior to the casino uh, craze, mm-hmm. that really didn't carry a lot to it, right? But now. Uh, <laughs> Tribal members are really well taken care of, and, and, and rightly so. They should, they, you know, yeah. all the sacrifices and all the, the lies and, 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 and tragedies and, and genocide that, the, that their ancestors had to endure, they should be getting something. Right. But the whole thing about the freedmen is that the freedmen, you know, ancestors of the freedmen should get that too. Right. I mean, I, descendants of the freedmen should get that too. Get that, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, uh, so, so really, so this whole thing about, you know, lineage, mm-hmm. you know, your journey where you came from mm-hmm. all, all resonates because, you know, you can't say at face value. Right. Body. I agree. <laughs> I totally agree because it's like one of the things that I, that people have argued is that when you look at people, the diversity, equity, inclusion, the way some people are doing it, it, it makes everybody stereotyping of people because you look at people, you just stereotype them. But like from what you're saying, you cannot stereotype anybody because people are different. 
if it's yeah. down to their values and their culture and everything, people are different. So just looking at somebody as a black person or as a Native American or as a Hispanic person or, uh, mm -hmm. uh, or even a white person. Even a white person, it's yeah. you can't just stereotype people. So I'm glad you pointed that out because it really shows the importance of spending time to know people. That way, you don't keep saying the same using the same stereotypes about cultures and people and different groups just because that's what everybody says. Just because I'm African, I speak with an accent, it doesn't mean anything. I could be just. I, maybe I wasn't even right. maybe I was more I moved there when I was five and my all my heritage is here so you don't know anything until you get to know people so I right. really agree right. that yeah but, but even 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 being from the continent of Africa right it's not no monolithic African I mean Absolutely you know the, the diversity within the continent is, is powerful yes and, and so I think you know that's the whole thing about it. like I said I went to Egypt Yes, Egypt, Egypt is totally different than yes, Cameroon yes. or Nigeria or yes. you know like Congo. My head is like or, you know. went to the Middle East because it's like their culture mirrors the Middle East now more than right. it mirrors the rest of Africa, right? Right. So, so, you know, so, so and, and that's things. You know, but during the World Cup, yeah, <laughs> Morocco, when Morocco made it to like the semifinals, right? Yes, uh, Morocco is the first African country, but you don't really think about it like that because you know, no. but Morocco is officially it Africa. is. It is. And it was it was one of those things where those of us that are soccer fans and we absolutely love soccer. We we and then we are from South Sahara, Africa. I try not mm -hmm. to use South Sahara, yeah. South Sahara, Africa. We we were like, well, I know some of you try to say you're not Africans, but you still belong on this continent. Right. So yeah. we are going to support you. And even some of them didn't even know. Like I, I saw a Facebook thing where the guy was like, oh, Look at this 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 Senegalese guy that is supporting us. There was like one dark skinned Senegalese guys among all these uh, um, uh, group of, of of Moroccans and more lighter skinned Moroccans. So to mm -hmm. that Moroccan person talking, it was almost like, oh surprise, the the South is supporting us. But they're like, but we are on the same continent. Why shouldn't we support you? And it was funny to me that he the way he translated that, even as a Moroccan, he didn't. He didn't feel African. Like I was like, you're all literally on the same continent. How can you think that you belong to the Middle East when you're literally on the African continent? You know, and, and that raises a, a very good point and a point, an important point about who determines how you identify yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, who makes the determination of how you're to be labeled or how you want to be labeled, right? Yeah. So it's kind of like this whole thing, like, you know, uh, we're all part of the diaspora. Some people say, with diaspora? I mean, yes. you know, we African diaspora, what do you mean? I mean, you know, you, the, the places that people from Africa have touched. Right. Where they live. Yeah. Uh, where they actually have, have spent time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you think about the African diaspora, then you think about, you know, not just Africa or mm -hmm. North America. You think about South America, yeah. Brazil. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You think about uh, even Colombia. Yes. Ecuador. Yep. Haiti. And, yeah. Venezuela. Yep. Then you think about, you know, Mexico. Mm -hmm. And you think about Nicaragua mm -hmm. and, you know, and so uh, Belize and places like that and, and Dominican and Haiti and Jamaica and Cuba. And, mm -hmm. and so the, the point of it is that that, yeah, we all have dark skin mm -hmm. uh, and we have maybe some commonalities, mm -hmm. but we also have a lot of differences based upon, you know, where, where our ancestors touched. Right. And and the thing about, you know, some of the questions you asked me to think about. And ponder mm -hmm. the thing about you know I've been in higher education now. Uh, 
I got count. I got count now. So math ain't my. <laughs> so be, be, bear with me for a second. I will bear with you. <laughs> I've been. Uh, this is my thirty. This is my thirty. Thirty nine. Going on my thirty ninth year. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know. A long time. And that's why I was telling you before. I'm more towards the back end of my career than the front. Right. End. Right. But but you know you think about uh, I think about how powerful education is. Yes. You know uh, I was the first one in my family. Uh, my mom and dad decided to go to college. You know, um, uh, outside my cousin in Boston, and she's a she's a medical doctor and she's a dean of diversity at Harvard Medical School. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, her and I, and she's older than me, and her and I were like the first two in, in an extended family. Right. You know, mother and mother and father side of the family. Yeah. Wow. And but but, you know, the whole opportunity about education is that powerful. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it really is that transformative. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about what you may major in at a college. Mm-hmm. That, that's almost secondary. Right. What's important is all the other things outside of that that you encounter mm-hmm. and that you're exposed to that influence and shape you mm-hmm. and really prepare you for the broader world. Mm-hmm. That's the transformative part of it. That's true. And so when you avail yourself of engaging with others from a different background than you, mm-hmm. uh, from a different culture, from a different part of the world, mm-hmm. from a different journey, it just makes you stronger and, and more confident and sure of you in terms of your identity and how you see right. yourself. Right. And, and, you know, I have some friends who, who talk about this word as overwork. It's called community, right? What's community? Uh, community. Uh, it's kind of tired and trite, but now, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that Community is really this concept where, yeah, we care about each other and we uh, are connected to each other, but it's also where we learn from each other. Mm-hmm. And from that engagement and that interaction uh, where we learn from each other, we get a sense of our value and others' value to the world right. and how we need to support each other and work with each other right. to create this space where we all can thrive and be okay in. Yes. And that really is, you know, that really is a process that really you put yourself out there. Right. So you're not, you're not just reticent and you just, oh, I'm just going to do my thing and I don't care about you. And mm-hmm. I got my space. You got your space. Don't knock yeah. on my door and ask for no sugar. And I will not <laughs> ask for no cup of sugar. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's more to it than that. And, and the benefits that come from us doing that are enormous. Yeah. But where do you first engage in that? Mm-hmm. Not so much uh, in your early years, like, you know, uh, uh, elementary school, middle school, high school, it's when you go to college. Mm-hmm. Because even, you know, I, yeah, you know, in my journey, as we talked about earlier, yeah, my dad exposed us to the world by, by his service in the Army. Mm-hmm. But I'm rare. Right. Very I'm true. rare. Even the military doesn't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. What they'll do is you'll be attached to a base now and you go off and do some extended tour or some tour for a certain amount of time and you come back to your base afterwards where your family is. Oh, wow. Back in the day, because it got too expensive to do what we did. Right. You know, we all moved up. Like and up everybody moved, you know, moved every year. Right, every two or three years, we had a new place. <laughs> they don't do that no more. Yeah. So, 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 in that sense, I'm rare. But, but the thing about it is, that type of engagement and that type of interaction makes you makes you better. But you don't normally get that now because most places are just homogeneous. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody look like me. Everybody, because most people, you know, if you look at uh, research and data, tell you that most people, uh, most kids who go to college, are basically in especially people of color right. are in high schools and schools that are where they are the vast majority. Right. So basically they, they're educated in segregated settings for the most mm-hmm. part. Mm-hmm. And if you think about that, that's true. It's true. Yeah. You look at, I'm you look at these you, LA right now. And yeah, you're right. You look at, look, look at, look at uh, suburban areas. Yeah. Influence suburban areas, predominantly white, right? 
mm-hmm. with a few few other individuals smattered in there. But mm-hmm. or yeah. then you look at deep urban areas, mm-hmm. rural of color, depending upon the neighborhood and the part of the community. Look at deep rural, for the most part, pretty much white, or you know, you might see some uh, native communities, especially in Oklahoma. Right. But but the point of it is, the point of it is, is that college is that first place where people come together from different backgrounds. Right. And so, as I said earlier. Yeah, you're yeah, you major in something. And that gives you the technical skill set to go out there and get a job mm-hmm. in a profession. But that doesn't necessarily, but that's not what really makes you prepared for the world. Right. It's that engagement, that challenge to your mindset, you know, to be challenging your own belief system that you've acquired in those 17, 18 years, whatever, mm-hmm. before you got there. And now that you meet someone who has a different mindset than you mm-hmm. and a different way of seeing the world than you. Right. And so now you you're you're measuring that against what you believe in, what you believed in. Mm-hmm. And then all the other things, you know, you know, help shape that. And then that really rounds you off into the person you're going to become. Right. Uh, and that's the beauty about college. So, but the whole thing about this whole idea about DEI, you know, you know, the history of higher education, you know, of course, as you know, you had the uh, Harvards of the world that were formed in the 16th and 17th century and before America, while America was still a colony. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Brown and all the other places and Williams and Mary, William and Mary and other schools like that. But then you had this whole idea about schools were basically for white men of means mm. or the, the sons of white men with means. Right. Then, you know, you know, it wasn't until like the, the uh, 19th century, early 19th century, that you had the first women's school, you know. Right. And then you had, uh, you know, uh, Lucius Twilight was his brother. That was the first brother, first uh, black person to graduate from college or attend a college. And I think it was Middlebury, Middlebury College, kind of Middlebury appearance in uh it's part of Millerberry up here in uh, Monterey, but the Millerberry is in Vermont. He was the first, wow. that was 1820. Yeah, that's 1823. Wow. So the point I'm making is that, you know, okay. education, higher education really wasn't for anyone other than, you know, males of means, white right. males of means, right. until like, you know, after the Civil War. Uh, oh, it, yeah, it's the case. And so, so then, so then now we're at this point in time now where we moved and evolved, where now segregation is. Mm-hmm. Kind of like over with, even though we're on a couple of generations removed. I, I worked at OU, Oklahoma University, University of Oklahoma, right. uh, before I came here. And uh, I worked at the Health Sciences Center, but I, I, was get, I got my doctorate from the University of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got my doctorate late in life. But uh, I, I had started when I was early, and then a uh, colleague of mine who was my mentor, he got a presidency. This was early in my career. Right. Got a presidency and, and asked me to join him as his chief of staff. Mm-hmm. So I left left my doctoral program at Illinois State and <laughs> Austin, and uh-huh. but anyway, it took me wow. twenty years to get back into a doctoral program. But I finished. Uh-huh. That's a but commitment, it, though, on your part. You committed. My, it, yeah, right, you know, it was and it was a part of my, you know, the dream that I saw for myself, you know. Uh, but yeah, but anyway, you know, OU wasn't but a couple of generations removed from segregation, and uh, you know, they still had this, the, the vestiges of segregation in terms of the fraternity and sorority system. You know, the white fraternities and and the white sororities had their own houses. The black fraternities and black sororities had to kind of meet in the residence halls or meet in in the student union and all that because they didn't have their own houses. That's a vestige of, that's a vestige of segregation. And so, so we're not that far removed from that, but the beautiful thing about this whole thing about DEI is that this should be natural anyway. It shouldn't be a struggle uh, or, or or you should be giving someone a pat on the back. Oh, you, you start a DEI thing. You got to <laughs> Oh, you get you get some 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 brownie points. You get some right. you know you get some some kudos. Yes. No, that's what we should be doing anyway because this is this is the core of what higher ed is supposed to be about. That they say they're about. 
They said they're about the free exchange of ideas. They're about people from different backgrounds coming together, sharing ideas and sharing ways of seeing the world and sharing ways about how that difference makes them all stronger and better. If that's the case, then, then it should be natural. That's true. I agree. I agree. It's it's very interesting that you touched on that because uh, one of the critiques was was exactly that. The people are critiquing the fact that why are we behaving like, oh, because you're in GEIB, all of a sudden you should get a batch of honor. Why should we respect you for doing right. what is right? Like right. it's supposed to be the right thing to do and you should not be getting a pat in the back for doing what is right. So I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Sister. I mean, yeah. Why? Wait. You're doing the right thing, but you want to be recognizing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's funny because, you know, I had, I, I had a, 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 an administrator say to me that uh, this work, this DEI work is like uh, sprinkles on a cupcake. Now, they were telling me, they thought they were being complimentary. Oh, said, wow. Really? Yeah, that's not yeah. a compliment. I said, that's not a compliment. I said, <laughs> no, we're, we're the batter. We are the batter of the cupcake. Yep. We are central to what we you do. Yeah. Engaging people from different backgrounds, engaging yes. people with some different cultures, engaging people who, who see the world differently, exchanging mm -hmm. free exchange of ideas, even when you disagree. Right. It's the core and the crux of what we do in higher education. Yes. So to say that, okay, it's kind of like ancillary. No, it's central. It is central. It's central. And you know, uh, it doesn't matter what your major is, we're preparing you for a broader world. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a book out. Uh, it was called uh, uh, Robot Proof, mm. and by uh, 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 what's his name? Anun Joseph Anun mm -hmm. Joseph Anun, who's the uh, president at Northeastern. Right? I don't know if he still is. Probably still is mm -hmm. president of Northeastern. And and the, and the purpose of the book was talk about how to basically function in a highly technical age in terms of higher education and colleges. Mm -hmm. And he talked about the things that students in the future need. They need to be have data literacy. Yeah, I got that. Right. You need to understand how data is used and all that. You got to have technological literacy. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, got that too. And then he said this whole thing, idea about cultural literacy. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. And he called this thing called humanics. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, humanities and culture, you know, uh, understanding how to engage people from different backgrounds. Right. And those skills, that's skills that you need in any type of environment. Right. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter your major. You know, you can be a that's science right. major. You got, you know, you need to still understand how to deal with different diverse populations. Right. You know, you can be a technical major, you know, be a computer science major. Yes. You got to learn that. And he, or you can be a humanities like major or education major. Yeah. Of course you need that. But in any particular major or, or skill set or field, you need to be able to engage people from a different background. That's you know, true. we talk about diversity and, you know, uh, demographic diversity. But the other diversity, which is important, is cognitive diversity. Right. Being yeah. with people who think differently. No, yeah. corporations will tell you that's important. You know, that enhances creativity, right? Mm -hmm. So if, if I see if, if I see something one way, but someone else sees something a different way, and we come together and figure it out, you know, that, that, that expands the range of possibilities that you can envision and how you can solve a problem or solve mm -hmm. a challenge. Mm -hmm. You know, so uh, so there's different ways to think about that and look at it. But the idea is we should not seek uh common things with homogeneity yes. we should think we should think about difference and how difference enhances the experiences that we have the opportunities that we can envision the power uh, the, the world, world the, the, the wide range of yes. things that can be possible that you wouldn't be able to envision unless somebody else was helping you envision it so yeah i completely agree with that because um i i from just studying culture and uh 
my final conclusion when I took culture and placed it in light of DEIB, it was more about that 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 diversity in thinking, diversity mm -hmm. of thought, diversity of perspective. We can we we cannot keep doing society in that uniform, homogeneous way that you're saying because it just mm -hmm. doesn't work. Our society is diversifying very quickly. The US is at least 40% diversified compared to other countries. So how do we live in a country that is so multicultural, so diverse, and then keep insisting on doing things one way, just because it's the way we've always done things? It won't work. We need that diversity of thinking. We need that diversity more in culture, in people than in skin color. So it's not just about putting a black person in a place. It's about what does that black person really bring? What kind of diversity do they bring to the team that they're putting them in? One of the challenges that I faced in higher ed was sitting in situations where I am bringing a diverse thought, but feeling like I was getting pushed back because it wasn't the trendy thought, right? So I, I almost feel like in higher ed, we are not doing enough to leverage the diversity that that we that that students bring into the schools. We go, we bring in Chinese students, we bring students from Africa, we bring students from South America. But are we really leveraging and really learning culturally or just different ways from these students to enhance our education? Or are we just moving what we have customized in that works maybe for the white male 18th century education in the classrooms today? Yeah. Any thoughts on that? <laughs> Yeah, a lot of thoughts in there. <laughs> I think, um, so, you know, you know the, the thing about it is, is that we try to, we, we look at education as we always have looked at education, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you, come to, you come to a college or university and you major in something mm -hmm. and you take classes that help, you know, facilitate your, the major. You take some gen ed classes, general education classes that you need, common classes, English and math, mm -hmm. uh, some, basic, some basic science stuff, some humanities, some history, you know, social sciences and things like that. But you're mainly taking, you know, half your classes, you're taking classes in your major. Right. And we focus on that. Mm -hmm. But it's like I said earlier, it's like we don't focus on how we equip students to exist in a multicultural, right. uh, highly diverse world. That's and true. and so 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 we get so fixated on, on that because we can monetize that. That's true. I can monetize how many classes you take. Yes. You know, you taking three, you taking five classes, three credit hours a class, that's 15 hours. I charge you X amount of money per credit hour. I can monetize that, right? And because we're a business. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember, this is funny, Ruth. I was I, I was at St. Louis Community College. And and at, uh, it was a Florissant Valley campus, which was a North County campus in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And and it, it had gone through uh uh it was it was uh it, it was it had gone through a serious demographic change. It went from a predominantly white institution, mm -hmm. about thirteen thousand, about twelve thousand students, mm -hmm. uh, to a predominantly black community, uh -huh. uh, with half that student population. Ooh. But they didn't lose any at the same number size of faculty and staff as they had when they had at twelve thousand students, right? So I was when I got hired, the president who hired me, who became a dear friend of mine say, I want you to, uh, I'm, we're doing this strategic planning process. I want you to handle this part of on recruitment and retention. Okay, gotcha. So we're looking at numbers. I said to everybody, I said, excuse me, let me ask y'all a question. Because everybody was talking, complaining about this and that. These are faculty and staff. Mm -hmm. I said, let me ask you a question. Name me a business that loses 50% <laughs> of 
of its customer base <laughs> doesn't lose any of its employee base. Yes. No I, I said, take your time. I'll wait. <laughs> they couldn't name one. There isn't. Said, we're <laughs> doesn't so we're a business. We're a business. Right? So, so higher education is this business. Yeah. It, it, it needs to make money to, to basically exist. That's true. And people don't work. People don't work for nothing. People no. work for money. Okay. Now you yeah. may, you know, faculty may be grossly underpaid. Staff may be grossly underpaid. Yeah. But it's still a business. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so the point is, is that, you know, we, we monetize something, but we also forget that we don't, we fail to enhance the experience mm-hmm. in the ways that truly does resonate mm-hmm. because most people will, will change careers a couple of times in their yes. career. Yeah. But the one thing that we give you is like what Aoun said, that ability to engage with people, from, to be culturally flexible, mm-hmm. to have the cultural capacity to exist in any particular environment and thrive. Right. I mean, that's the kind of skill set that gets understated, but needs to be emphasized heavily yes. because that's what's important. And yeah. and I, I was I would suggest in this world of conflict that a lot of conflict comes from ignorance. A lot of conflict comes from hatred, which is attached to ignorance. Mm-hmm. A lot of conflict comes from these biases, which come from ignorance, which comes from you know lack of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And that's why education is so powerfully important. And that's why some people are trying to control access to it. Because, you know, when, when you educate people, they tend to not necessarily uh, believe that the status quo is the only way. That's true. And that's that's not good for those who are yeah. benefiting from the status quo. Right. It's like Carter G. Woodson uh, back in 1930, I think in 1933, uh, wrote the book uh, Miseducation of the Negro. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a classic. As a matter of fact, I use it in my in my uh, dissertation work. It's, mm-hmm. it's a, it's, but anyway, the, the quote. Now, this is gender specific because that's back in the 1930s. So, you know, it wasn't gender neutral back then. You control a man's thinking, control a man's action. Mm -hmm. Wow. So if you control a person's thinking, you control a person's actions. That's true. So how do you control a person's thinking? You control a person's thinking by controlling the access to education or even controlling how you are educated or maybe miseducated. Right. Wow. Uh, So, you know, so the whole idea is then. How do how do we use this whole idea about you know equity and inclusion and diversity? What does it actually mean? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'm not into uh, labels so much. Uh, I'm more interested in so you can call it. You can come up with different names. People do come up with different names. They do. But it's really about how do we respect and value each other. Yes. And how do we and how do we use that exposure and access to nature to change the natures of people's lives to help them see the world differently to help mm-hmm. them see the world in a more humane and broader, broader and accepting way. Mm-hmm. How do we do that? Yeah. And so to me, that's what this is all this works about. That's how I see it. That's and how I see it too. I because the bottom line is that respect. We are never ever going to agree on everything in this life. True. And the only way for us to keep working together is to understand each other and then respect each other and find a common ground. So mm-hmm. I, I I agree with you hundred percent on that. Yeah. Like, the labels, yeah, exactly. the labels are just a bit too much. But let's come back to the to that focal point that mm-hmm. you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I just think I think that uh, back to the idea about why we do what we do, and I think you know the nature about whether or not you know college and universities are serious about it. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are not. You know, there was an article recently. I I, I have to send it, send it to you. I'll a friend of mine sent it to me about these. Uh, three individuals who do diversity uh, DEI work, diversity, equity, inclusion work mm-hmm. uh, at, at, at uh, Princeton, they resigned. Mm-hmm. And they resigned because they didn't see the sincerity 
or a commitment of the administration at at uh, at Princeton. Yes. And you and you see other people doing the same thing because I mean, you know, I've had these issues with some of the places where I've worked. Right. You know, the lack of sincerity, the lack of commitment, lack of uh, true focus on why this is important. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I make my pitch every time I get a chance in, 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 in different places and rooms and committees and meetings I'm in. Mm-hmm. But I shouldn't have to do that. It's true. So I think, you know, I agree. Uh, I think that at some point in time, uh, the question then becomes, uh, what's the step beyond? Right. So you, you created infrastructure mm-hmm. and where overall college universities across this country spend billions of dollars on people like me and training and consulting and things like that. Mm-hmm. But what's the next, what's the next step? Right. right. Well, the next step really is to take it beyond the office, beyond the roles, beyond the programs and whatever, and understand that everything we do should be tied into the fact about equity, opportunity, engagement, fairness, mm-hmm. and how we use all that to, to help shape people's lives and give them the opportunity to understand their place and their purpose in the world. Right. Wow. So, and that's not, you know, you know, you'll find through all that, you know, you know, woke and, you know, uh, politically correct and all that. <laughs> this is about fundamentally respecting and valuing each other, even when we disagree. Yes, I agree. Wow. We all have value and purpose in this world. Yes. And that's that's and that's the truth. I mean, um, nobody's better or, or worse than someone else. Uh, we all have value and purpose. Yes. And you know, it's the golden rule: you do unto others as you have them do unto you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. I do to my neighbor what my neighbor does does to me. Right. I do for my neighbor what my neighbor does for me. Right. I mean, it's it's like you know, and every religion has that basic tenet. Mm-hmm. That's true. You know? uh, so that means that you value others. You know, they're different than you, yeah, yeah but you value yeah. them. Right. And so the, so the idea back to this idea where I tell you about the word community mm-hmm. and, and and when we talk about at my college here at the university, I, I, I basically use that word when I first got here. Mm-hmm. So I, so when I, when I first got here, my pre, my president at the time, uh, we were at an academic Senate meeting. Mm-hmm. He came over to me. I was sitting in the room, with, you know, it was before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to introduce you. So, you know, get up and, you can get up and say a few words. That's a cool. No problem. Mm-hmm. So he introduced me. His, it came time for his his comments. He introduced me, and I got up and said a few words. And I said, "I believe in uh, the four C's." Mm-hmm. You know, I said, "I believe in civility." Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we how we treat each other. Right. You know, um, and uh, civility. You know, I mean, I agree with you, but I respect you, mm-hmm. and I value you, right. and I respect the same. I believe in collegiality. You know, we working. You know, we in, we all part of the, the academy. Right. We're all in this together. Ain't nobody different or, or, or nobody's role is more important than the other. We all are important. Whether you're a groundskeeper or a facilities person or you're a faculty member or you're the president, we all important in what we do. Right. And I believe in collaboration. Mm-hmm. We work together and we work across boundaries. You know, higher education is famous for silos, right? They say silos. <laughs> yes. You know, you do your thing, I do my thing. You ain't, you ain't, you ain't. Yeah. Uh, That's not my department. That's not my department. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, we good for that. You know, yes, anything. So we good for that. We can do that. We can do that with the best of them. So, so, uh, you know, so I believe in collaboration. Yeah. And then the last thing is I believe in community. Mm-hmm. I am my sister's keeper. I am my brother's keeper. Mm-hmm. And that we support each other and we work with and we care for each other. We make sure that each other is all right. Mm-hmm. We make sure these students are okay. Mm-hmm. And that we also model what we want students to do. Right. So we, don't just, we just don't talk to talk. We walk to walk. Walk to walk. Mm-hmm. 
And so to me, that's what this is all about. Yeah. And I've always believed that. You know, uh, when I was a lone, a lone voice in the wilderness, I was like that. Like yes. John the Baptist, you know, I'm like, yes. Mm. Yeah, so so uh, I, I don't equate myself to a prophet, by the way. So just let that be known right now. But just, just, That's not where you're going with that. No, I ain't, no, girl, I ain't going. To, I ain't going that way. No. So, so let me be clear. Right. But no, but no, I was like, you know, yeah. I mean, I've, I've always believed that just since that, you know, we all are in this together. You know, we all are part of community. My first, my first two jobs in higher ed, mm-hmm. I was the only black male employee at my two institutions. I mean, faculty or staff. I was only black male. Seriously? Oh, yeah. yeah. Wow, what was so, that experience like? You talking about fishbowl. Wow. It's like, it's like a small little bowl and it's on a yes. desk. I'm looking at you, like, you know. Uh, but, uh, it, you know, it made me be resourceful, one. It made me be fearless. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always known, many people can accuse me of many things, many things. Mm-hmm. But I ain't, I'm not, never been shy about saying what needs to be said. And that's always been a, a part of me as my to my mom and dad's chagrin. Oh boy, here you go. He, you know, he, he a radical, you know, my dad. You know, like, you know, I was reading uh at Maverick, I left I left these books in Florida and my dad and mom said they threw them out. I was like, well, you threw the books out. They talking about, oh man, them, them books were subver- uh, were subversive. I'm like, come on, mom and dad. But it was it was Miles Red book, Gaddafi's oh. Gaddafi's Green book. What? Communist Manifesto and, and all these other, you know, because I mean, you know. I, I, yeah, you're growing I, I, your mind, you're learning and defining yourself. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, I had to laugh at them because you know, I, I love my mom and dad. And so, you know, I was like, okay, I got y'all. Yeah. But, 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 you know, that, 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 but that was part of, that was part of me. I mean, you know, yeah. part of my, uh, my, my, my particular learning mm-hmm. and wanting to learn. But, you know, it's like, we just need to understand that we have to challenge ourselves and help individuals understand that you can be okay with the world, but you have an obligation to help change the world, make it better for everybody. Right. And uh, that, you know, college is where we give you, equip you with the capacity to do that. Right. And this whole idea behind, you know, DEI really is about understanding that you you learn from each other. Yeah. And there's in, invaluable things that you can learn from someone from a different background, a different way of seeing the world than you. That's very and, true. And, when, and when you uh, hang with people in college who look like you and have the same thoughts that you have, you're depriving yourself. Yeah. The full benefits of the experience. Right. Wow. So anyway. Well, I am sold. If I wasn't a college graduate, I probably will go back to college based on everything you've said. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I think it's a great time to be a college yeah. student. Honestly, yeah. I mean, there's some serious challenges in this world, but I think some serious opportunities in this world. Right. And I think, you know, when we, when we uh, go there with the mindset that, yeah, I'm a major in a particular field and all that, but I'm going to be much more than that. Right. right. Uh, I see myself much more than that. Right. I, I think you you basically make yourself better for the world. That's amazing. That's amazing. There is no other way to for me to end this but to say yes, you've said it, you nailed it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Anytime, amazing. I'm, I'm <laughs> thank you so much for listening to my conversations with Brian. It is such a joy to hear how education in higher ed has impacted his life and the encouragement to. Apply DIB not just as a tool for business group, but as the right thing to do. It is the right thing to do because DIB teaches us respect. It teaches us how to value one another, how to listen to other perspectives and open opinions. And it opens the door to many conversations that we might not have otherwise in our day-to-day lives. So take advantage of this recording 
and the last recording to grow your knowledge of DEIB and continue to learn and explore this new uh, structure that is designed to basically help us be better human beings, better keepers of one another. You are welcome to send me your thoughts. You're welcome to share with me topics you want to hear about or you would like for myself and a guest to discuss or just myself to reflect on. And if you would like to come to the show and discuss a topic that is near and dear to your heart and that is culturally relevant, do email me. Again, my name is Dr. Ruth, the host of Jumbo Dr. Akumbo. Until next time. Asante Asana.